Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of The Faraway Nearby. It's that time of year. The holidays are upon us. The lines at stores are trailing out the lot, and parking spaces are becoming fewer and fewer. The cards might not be piling up in the mailbox the way they did when you were younger, but friends and family still get together. Some bake treats to share, others take delight in finding that perfect gift for a loved one or a dear friend. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a few of our guilty pleasures, films that help lift our spirits as we find ourselves picking up the phone, stepping out our doors, or sitting down at the table. As usual, I am joined by our family friend, the Earl. Hello, Earl. How are you? How do? So happy to be back. Thank you. Glad to have you once again. And today, we also have the pleasure of the company of actor and co-host of the Cinder Cedar Sphere, Cindy the Flame Dame. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Oh, the, the Cindy Sphere. I the, like it. The Cinder Sphere. <laughs> Honestly, you're getting all about me. All about me. You're going to have to approach Scott with the new title, Cinder Sphere. Cinder Sphere, because the goat's just been dragging me down, I tell you. No, hi, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for having me aboard. Well, pleased to have you. So as we join around the fireplace with our hot cups of cocoa and plate of cookies, we'll begin our show with a discussion of our childhood favorites. Surely a cherished time with our earliest memories of delight and wonderment. Start us off, Cindy, if you would please to let us know what are some of your favorite childhood holiday films? Well, I went with an eclectic list based on my eclectically weird childhood. Uh, but my earliest one's got to be... One I just I never see it on TV, and thanks to this show, researching the show, I've actually found where I can see it online legally, amazingly enough. And it's a cartoon known as Yogi's First Christmas. (gasps) (laughs) Is that a gasp of recognition or horror? We ask. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, this is from 1980. Now, all the usual Hanna Barbera gang is reunited, so Doss Butler is doing six voices, like as Yogi and Boo Boo, and jumping over to the IMDb list. So we have Doss Butler doing Yogi Bear and Snagglepuss, Huckleberry Hound, and Augie Doggy, just to show you that everybody's in this thing. Don Messick is, of course, there as Boo Boo, Ranger Smith, and also Herman the Hermit. Uh, this one is, it was a made-for-TV presentation. It was occasionally shown as uh, a, an 80-minute movie and occasionally shown as two parts. Uh, basically, Yogi and Boo Boo uh, have always been in hibernation during the winter, so they've never done Christmas. Oh, and, of course. Exactly. I never, I never thought of that. <laughs> so they happen to wake up for Christmas in time to find out that the Jellystone Lodge, which has an annual big Christmas celebration, is going to be paved over to put a highway through the park. No. I know. I mean, who would open up a national park to that kind of exploitation? <sighs> Sigh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a rich, fancy lady named Mrs. Throckmorton that everybody has to make really happy. And her her bratty, bratty nephew that they have to make really happy so that hopefully they can save the lodge. And there's a ski Olympics and this sort of thing and all kinds of hijinks. But I just really liked it as a kid, even though I'm not a big Hanna-Barbera kid. I was mostly a Warner Brothers kid. It's got a great selection of songs um, from uh, Upon a Christmas. Uh, Cindy Bear has a song called Mistletoe. It's kind of sexy. Um, <laughs> the Hermit has a song about how much he hates Christmas. So it's always good to add to the curmudgeonly Christmas playlist. And 
it's it's got a lot of heart, even though it's it's a really it's a really thin thin script. You know, Yogi keeps winning the ski Olympics events by falling asleep, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, Cindy Cindy Bear keeps making a play for him. There's no explanation as to why she knows what Christmas is all about. So I guess she stays awake through hibernation or that sort of thing. She's and uh, <laughs> it's a nice little reunion piece of every I mean, Snagglepuss is in it, Huckleberry Hound is in it, oh. and you're even rooting for Ranger Ranger Smith. You know, everybody's in this thing. Augie and Augie and Doggy get a lot uh, to do. They're sort of the co-stars of it. But yeah, that's that's my first uh, my first odd choice, and oh, I'm really happy this podcast has given me a way to to watch it again. <laughs> and uh, and it's it's overplayed. Everybody's sick of it. Now, was was Yogi's first Christmas something they played every year? I only saw, I think I saw it year one when it was new, and maybe twice more. It just didn't seem to be at least in my part of California. It was not like a syndicated regular showing. Mm-hmm. This is sort of when Hanna Barbera was on the decline anyway. In 1980, was sort of the beginning of the end for them. But yeah, I just want to say about that uh, the 1980s. Now, Hanna Barbera for me goes way back to the 60s when right when so many Saturday morning cartoons were Hanna-Barbera productions. Mm-hmm. And also the interesting thing that maybe a lot of people don't know is a lot of those early Hanna-Barbera cartoons, Yogi Bear, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, were primetime cartoons. They were aired on primetime, like, like the Flintstones. Oh yeah, like when a sitcom would usually play at night. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm only that, used to them Saturday mornings. Sure. No, when when a lot of those early ones started, they were primetime weekly cartoons. So weird. And now we've just come right back around to cartoons being primetime, usually because they're not for children. But. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, my next one is a Christmas story. I know there are people who are thoroughly sick of it because of the 24-hour repeat, but. I saw it in 83. Um, even though we had lots of movie theaters nearby, our parents, my brother and I, our parents didn't take us to a lot of movies because it was kind of expensive. Um, so like our great aunt would take us to movies or our grandparents would take us to movies. But for some reason, we decided we were going to go to downtown Monterey to the Regency Theater, which only had one screen, the Regency Theater and see Christmas Story. And we laughed so hard. Um, watching that movie, I just remember, you know, sitting with my parents, you know, we were picking our seats out and the four of us sitting there and we just had such a good time watching it. And like, we all laughed at that line about the mother. Um, my mother hadn't had a warm meal in 12 years <sighs> right? because that was my grandmother. It wasn't my mom, but that was my grandmother that every time she sat down to eat, <laughs> Hey, could you get me? I need another isn't there any on the table? And she'd get up and wait, and we, she never had a warm meal. And that just had all four of us laughing so hard. Cause we'd like probably just seen my grandmother. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you know, I always tell me if it's like, if you haven't seen it in a while, watch it with no commercials and you know, from a, something that's set in like the late forties, no matter when you were a child, you will utterly recognize that sort of hope and desperation and the weirdness of being a child of, yeah, getting through the holidays. As it turns out, uh, my f- my father would have been just about the right age to be Ralphie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember, uh, Cindy, when I first saw this, it I just it uh, it hit my heart. Right. And 
you know, even though I, I was after that generation, I was so familiar with it. Exactly. Uh, because of TV and my father and, you know, mm -hmm. I watched Leave it to Beaver, you know, <laughs> um, it, that it, it really, it was more than, than just a, a funny, goofy story. It, it, it had heart. Definitely. It had heart. Well, you know something, Cindy, about A Christmas Story that you may not necessarily know is um, that before the movie was made, did you know that that was part of a uh, series of short stories? I remember hearing about that, that it was it was from a book of essays. Yeah, I actually, I, I think it was compiled into a book later, but the originals, it's my understanding, the author Gene Shepard wrote them, and they were featured in Playboy magazine back in the day. Because <laughs> whether it's Ralphie and a Red Rider, or if it's about boys and toys, Playboy will cover it. This makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, I just want to uh, shout out to one of my favorite actors of all time, Darren McGavin. Was oh, hell yes. wonderful in <laughs> A Christmas Story. I was like, hey, he's twenty years too old to play somebody's dad. I was like, yeah, but he's that—he's the perfect dad. Everybody knows this dad. <laughs> yeah, I love when he's swearing, and <laughs> they have like they—they come up with that. <laughs> But oh my lord! Not what he said. You know, it's not what he said, but he no. says it perfectly. <laughs> now I'm, I'm just going to point out the one thing that I thought was really kind of weird about okay. this movie, and that's Ralphie's younger brother <laughs> and the way he made his mother laugh at the table in that right. one scene. And I just always thought this is creepy. <laughs> this is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think, don't you think the mother's he, laugh or how he did it? <laughs> just everything about that scene. I, what was he doing? He was eating mashed potatoes or he was acting he like was, a pig? Or he, he was, was acting like a pig because like, the only way he would eat. Okay. I thought that was weird. <laughs> well, I would think that nowadays we would politely say that Randy is on the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> Randy has some issues. Okay. Randy. Well, and also, you know, I mean, this is since this is Ralphie's reminiscence, it, it, it's occasionally no disrespect to my younger brother. Occasionally the younger sibling. That's about all we remember about the younger sibling. Hey, I like that. I like the looking at it like that. There's just the, they're just these noisy, disruptive things that you have. You're supposed to look after. <laughs> that's funny. And also, I mean, to, to, to give for the creepy mommy, who's a little piggy, who's a little I think any any woman with a child or any person with a child will say you end up doing some weird ass things to get by with your kid, mm -hmm. including being okay with them making piggy faces and rubbing their faces in their plates if it means the damn snots finally ate something. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Yep. And I wouldn't know. I don't have kids, but. All right, now should I go to the flip side of the 80s nostalgia? All right. <laughs> All right. I think it'd be hard to disagree with me on this is the perfect Reagan era. 80s Christmas film. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Trading Places. <laughs> Fascinating because I watched Trading Places in the theater mm -hmm. and I have not seen it since, but I do have to say I don't remember anything Christmassy about it. What <laughs> did it take place during Christmas? It what? took place during Christmas. Uh, is, you might remember uh, Dan Aykroyd is the totally entitled young stockbroker who has the perfect life and then one christmas it all goes completely south he loses his fortune his girl and everything of worth 
because of the manipulations of two uh, his two bosses at the trade exchange, played by Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici as out and out villains. Yeah, I mean, roles you'd never see them play in the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. Flat out villains. They decide for a dollar to have a gentleman's bet and see if they can ruin Ackroyd's life and turn him into a criminal. And then, and then in, and to take a criminal and to give him everything Dan Aykroyd has and see if he can become a gentleman. So they decide on Eddie Murphy, who's running a scam, posing as a beggar. Like he has this great scene where the two cops, he's this obviously young guy who's pushing himself on a cart, acting like he has no legs and says he was in Nam because mm-hmm. it's only 1983. So the two cops start quizzing him about, you know, where he was in Nam and where he served and, Eddie Murphy doesn't know what to say, so he's just throwing out these random mentions of things in Vietnam. Um, and yes, it does take place over Christmas. The denouement is Dan Aykroyd hits a point so low, he's dressed up in a Santa suit, stealing salmon from a buffet dinner. Oh my God, now I remember. The whole yes. big, yeah, the whole place thing takes place over Christmas, leading up to the New Year's announcement of the of the the stock prices, the projected stock prices for orange futures. <laughs> mm-hmm. so this is everybody's first lesson in, in how trading futures worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfectly, perfectly eighties and it does take place over Christmas. A good chunk of it takes place over Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And Denholm Elliott is, is Dan Aykroyd's loyal Butler who like has to pretend to help that he's never met him before, even though he's, he, he's helped him he's been his servant since dan Aykroyd was a child and then has to turn his back on him and then decides to help him in the end <laughs> no wow. i used to i used to watch it on showtime in the middle of the night because you know it's 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 got an r rating mm-hmm. so yeah so i and start memorizing all these jokes and and jamie lee curtis has to disguise herself as a swedish tourist so she's has this horrible accent <laughs> in this really weird outfit <laughs> Oh my God! What was R rated about it? All the the swearing, drug references. It's Eddie um, Murphy. Are you kidding me? The age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is Eddie Murphy slightly restrained. I don't think he was riffing as much as he did normally. Uh, kind of had to stick. Did Jamie Lee Curtis show her titties? <laughs> yes, very briefly, because she's a prostitute. She's a hooker with a heart of gold. Of course. <laughs> Fascinating. And 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 former soon to be former Senator Al Franken appears in it in a cameo. Oh There's a lot God. of SNL cameos in it. How cute. Oh <laughs> I've got to revisit this movie. This is utterly I think it utterly holds up and it's just it just kind of takes the 80s down in a wonderful way. Hmm. <laughs> I'd watch it just for Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> exactly. Post, I mean, this was like her reminder to people I do more than scream and run around you know, with, with axe murderers, I think was this kind of the point of this role, but that's my oddball choice. Excellent and then, choice. thank you. And then my, I haven't seen it in years, but I remember it probably better than it was in American Christmas Carol. Mm. Uh, yeah. 1979. Uh, <laughs> Henry Winkler, also known as the Fonz plays Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay, I have a vague memory of this. Continue. And he's in all this old age makeup to look the age he is now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's 1979. It's it's one of only two instances I know of where the actor playing Ebenezer Scrooge plays him young and old, which is always an interesting acting challenge. Um, 
what it's it's probably not as good a movie as I remember, except I remember I think I teared up watching it as a kid, like watching it in 81, 82. Um, it's set in uh America during the depression in a coal mining town. Okay. Which so is they the, kinda updated it. It's not like in England with it's not in England in the eighteen sixties, but in in a in a setting like that, in one of those small towns that runs on one industry. That's the kind uh, of setting where one man could have that much power. Duh. You know? here, here I am looking at the title. An American <laughs> Christmas Carol. Okay, good, good, Earl. All right. I don't doubt Henry Winkler's English accent's pretty good, but I'm glad they didn't go with that. <laughs> huh. I think I saw it. I think I saw it when yeah, it, came it shows out. up once in a great while. It pops up on on or like I, I'll see an ad that they're going to show it, and then I'll miss it. But looking at some clips and some photos, I think part of what I liked was that it's a really nice production design. Like nobody's in a lot of color; everything's kind of muted. Like this is their whole world is this sort of has a sort of grayness to it. Or and then when Christmas comes, even before you know Scrooge turns. Christmas is color. Christmas is something festive and really different from what daily life is yeah. like. Yeah. So that one, yeah. Was so that, that one, I might hate it if I ever actually watch it again, but I, it, it sticks out for me as a memory. <laughs> what was it a made for TV or was it a theater? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was the Fonz got ABC to spend money on it since he was, you know, basically holding up happy days at one point. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did he wear one of those lace collars like Ebenezer Scrooge would have? <laughs> Now he's just in a lot of uh, big overcoats from the look of it, I think, to try and make him look old and wizened. <laughs> Was there anybody else of note in it besides? Uh, Nobody that jumps right to mind. I think there's a lot of, oh, yeah, that guy. Like, if you watched it, right. you'd go, he was on every TV show in the 70s that ever existed. Now, did this get a repeat viewing? Did it reappear over the years? Or I didn't do a lot of thorough research. It's not come up often enough for me to have... I, I only maybe saw it two or three times yeah, and I, I watch a lot of television. So it has not popped up that often. It's yeah. on VHS from best I've been able to find online. Yeah, I don't think it was like a perennial favorite that came back again and again. No, no. I, I, I think, I think once happy days ended, <laughs> we don't need to show this again. Great. All right, Earl, let's go to your list. All right. Well, uh, this is very old from the sixties. It's called a Christmas memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it on YouTube about 10 years ago and it hit me so hard that I've probably watched it every year during Christmas since. And wow. there, there's probably it's on DVD. I don't think it's ever come to Blu-ray, uh, but it's a Christmas memory. It was made for television. It was made for a, an ABC a television series called ABC stage 67. That's back when they did, you know, very creative things on television. And oh, I love those anthology shows. Yeah. This was written by Truman Capote <laughs> and also Eleanor Perry. Uh, they wrote it together, but the original story was a little short story by Truman Capote that was published in a magazine in 56 and it starred Geraldine Page and it aired uh, uh, first uh, in 1966 mm-hmm. and uh, just a darling. Oh, I, I love this movie. A darling little story about this 
elderly woman and her only friend in the world is her cousin, like a distant cousin. He's really young. He's just this little kid. And the story follows them uh, as they live during uh, the 1930s in a house with uh, where they live with uh, some other women who are very authoritarian, very religious people. And these this elderly woman and the kid have a friendship that, that goes on for years where they do things together. And during Christmas, they make fruit bread and they, they have like certain traditions they do. Like every year for Christmas, they give each other a kite that they've handmade. Well, that and sounds sweet. It, it's a very sweet movie. And uh, Geraldine Page, uh, I believe, won an Emmy for it. Well-deserved. And uh, the story focuses on this uh, they have this like very it's very country very country life and it focuses on the joy of giving during the christmas season because they they like just want to make this fruit bread and they give it out to their friends around the community and then it also dives deep into how lonely this this woman is. Mm-hmm. She's a spinster. She's never married. And uh, we kind of get the idea that maybe, I don't know, she's a little slow. We're not sure. But, but she a large part of her life has lived in fantasy. And that's why this kid is so into it. Because to this kid, this elderly woman is like, the most amazing person he's ever come across. Mm-hmm. And it ends very affectingly. He, uh, he's shipped off to a military school and he, he oh. um, never sees his friend again. And she begins to lose her memory and ha- she has uh, dementia of certain sort, but he remembers this is a, story of this elderly boy who who is not a man remembering back to the 30s of the story of his very special friend this woman Geraldine Page and the um, just lovely times that they spent together and just such a uh, well-told story and well-written and beautifully uh, done production and it's um called A Christmas Memory. Uh, It's on DVD. You can also find it for free on YouTube. Um, (laughs) But a lovely, lovely movie. Okay. (laughs) That's one of those nice uh, Truman Capote before he got utterly cynical kind of things. Well, yeah. Yeah. Of course, I think with some of his shorter stories, certainly when he was writing in an autobiographical sense, which this story right. is apparently, I don't know. I don't know how much of this was really true with Truman Capote, but he, but apparently it's somewhat autobiographical anyways, very sweet story. So you both have brought up movies that I will have to look into. And that's the nice thing about sharing our favorite holiday films. Cause of course everybody thinks that just like Christmas carols that you've heard them all and, and right. there's just so many versions of it. But when we start to hear about what each other's favorite movies are, you realize, oh, there there isn't only a, a dozen of these. You know, everyone's got a slightly different story. Exactly. Just like Cindy, I've got a handful of movies from my childhood that I like to dust off and watch during this time of year. Mm-hmm. Now, I was surprised 
surprised to learn that one of the movies that I was uh, remembering actually came out the same year as the other. So uh, the first movie that I'm going to talk about is a movie from 1985, and it has Dudley Moore and John Lithgow in it. <laughs> and to uh, come to find out, this is produced by a very notable uh, man in uh, the film industry who did one of the Superman films. I'm forgetting which one now, but the uh, the name is Salkind. Oh, the oh, original yeah. Superman the movie. Yeah. yeah. Some of the things that uh, we, we read about this, because my husband and I like to do this thing where whenever we're watching a movie, we want to see what actors have been in different roles and have crossed over. So, you know, we're reading about the, the trivia about this movie, Santa Claus, and it's actually called Santa Claus, the movie. And so many people are saying, um, you know, you've got this big name, Salkind, doing a simple movie about Santa Claus and coming to find out the, um, the ironic part about it is that despite the amount of story there are about Christmas at the time there had never been a film actually done about the backstory of Santa Claus Far Away Nearby will soon be entering its third season if you've enjoyed listening to the adventures of DJ and the Duchess why not show your support head on over to patreon.com slash tfn podcast there you can choose to make a donation who knows maybe you'll get an invitation to the Royal Compound for a future episode but whatever you do, make sure you let us know our time's been worth it to you. Thank you from the both of us. No, I think since they did the animated special that did Santa Claus's origin, I don't think anybody else had ever really touched on it. Yeah, and it was pretty spectacular. I mean, as a kid, I didn't you know, pay enough attention to, to realize that they're telling you a story that had origins in folklore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, you're seeing this couple who doesn't have any children who are very humanitarian they're they're traveling around to poor children and giving them gifts and all of a sudden there's a scene where they basically if you are not paying attention you don't realize that they've actually frozen to death and oh. you know you, you, they 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 don't have you see them be dead but it's alluded to because they waken from kind of a you know a dream one of those kinds of dreams where you wonder if you're still asleep or not right and suddenly out of this this bright light comes these little people and they all surround the sleigh and this man and his wife are there and they're sure that they're dreaming because you know they they they're out in the middle of nowhere and it's below zero out and they're just trying to get home and so the story unfolds from there you know they're they're incorporated into uh what becomes the reality of santa claus's existence that he will live together he will live forever he won't age mm-hmm. and he has all of the children of the world as his own and there's this beautiful scene in the movie where burgess meredith is the elder elf when nicholas and his wife arrive at the north pole and he, they're all just in awe of this wonderful enormous workshop that seems to have no end and he says to them these are all such wonderful toys, but we don't have any children. And that's when one of the best lines of the movie is spoken. And it's to him, you have all the children of the world. And so it was just a very quintessential 80s movie because, of course, Dudley Moore is in it and he plays none other than the head elf. That's right. <laughs> I wanted to say, I the only thing I remember about this is that Dudley Moore was an elf. <laughs> 
It well, was, an actual actor of the right size playing the role is nice in the age of CGI'd uh, elves and dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you can't have a better villain in an 80s film than John Lithgow. I mean, I think he might have just been fresh off of a movie where um, he started with Matthew Broderick, the Manhattan Project, where his company is secretly producing toxic nuclear waste. Yeah. <laughs> And this was right after Buckaroo Banzai, wasn't it? I think so. Where's the bad guy? That? That <laughs> um, yeah, John Lithgow played many a bad guys. Many a bad guys. <laughs> I'm thinking about that. Um, God damn, oh, I'm going to miss the director. Uh, De Palma. Brian De Palma? Yeah, uh, Dressed to Kill. What was it? You're right. Yeah, okay. I think you're John Lithgow was the killer in that movie. <laughs> Spoiler. Jesus. <laughs> In perfect perfect 80s fashion, John Lithgow is playing the the greedy corporate head of a toy company, and uh, his company's been taken to court. They have all these toys that are on display in the court case in the beginning of the... Well, actually, it's a little bit more than the beginning of the film, but after the story is set with Santa Claus, you, you get to meet the real world players. And uh, he has Hello? one doll that um, ends up being flammable, was supposed to be suitable <laughs> for children under three. And then uh, another stuffed animal, I'm forgetting the age group, but when they opened it out and dumped it out onto the table, it had like broken glass and screws in it. <laughs> A mainway product. <laughs> uh, but the, the magic, of course, when Santa's uh, reindeer started to take the bait, they they laced the reindeer food with something that makes them fly. Talk about a, a throwback <laughs> to the 60s. You yeah. your reindeer. <laughs> do, do, do. Yeah. And, and then, Maybe. Take and this, then, Nixon, Nixon, you'll fly, man, I swear. Right. And then just like the 80s where we got all of our children hopped up on sugary cereal... The um the the candy that the toy company starts giving away for free to become good Samaritans will make them fly. <laughs> good Lord. It's not a cocaine metaphor in the least. Yeah. Uh DJ, was this movie called Santa Claus the movie or just Santa Claus? It was Santa Claus the movie, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who played Santa? Do you remember? David Huddleston, according to this. Okay. Who usually plays bad guys is what is a rare good guy part for him, actually. I, re- I remember the previews for this movie when it came out, and they were they were so playing up the splashy effects, mm. like you know that that first the the kind of the first wave of CGI effects. It's like oh the reindeer fly, and there are these big you know kind of over New York, and there's these big flashy effects. And mm. my favorite scenes in it, I caught it a couple of years ago on TV. My favorite scenes are the 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 origin scenes. I find that way more interesting than the stuff the 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 quote unquote kids plot. Once you get to the the evil toy manufacturer and that rigmarole. Yeah, and um, it was just so rooted in in lore because when they meet the the elves, the little people, they're mm-hmm. actually called by a Norse or Celtic name, which, of course, the typical American would never have heard of before, and it was called Vandragum. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But uh, there was plenty of product placement, as with <laughs> a lot of 80s movies. You know, it was prominently displayed that McDonald's was a sponsor and right. Coca-Cola. <laughs> But this is available on DVD and Amazon. 
Excellent. And then the other two films that I'll quickly jot through took place just a few later years later in 1980. They're a few years apart, but they're both a retelling of the classic Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of them was Scrooged with Bill Murray. And although I enjoy Bill Murray, the better part of this movie are his co-stars, which mm-hmm. the, uh, the ghost of Christmas present is played by none other than Carol Kane. <laughs> and uh and then of course his assistant in the office at the the big network channel is alfrey woodard who plays crazy well <laughs> <laughs> now dj tell me about carol kane because I, I don't know this actress uh carol kane uh is most notable for playing in the 80s sitcom taxi where she was um, the uh, Latka, the immigrant workers' oh, yeah. wife. Okay. Yep. 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 And she's yep. been in a lot of roles since, of course. One of the most notably was she was the grandmother in the second Adams Family movie. Oh. In Houston. But a little bit of movie trivia that's quite interesting on this movie. And uh, just to 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 bring it back to the the synopsis, Scrooged with Bill Murray is a modern interpretation of Christmas Carol. And Bill Murray plays this network executive, and he's been tasked with bringing a live production of A Christmas Carol onto network TV (laughs) so that his station can meet the ratings. And it's all about corporate greed in the 80s as you go through the film. One of the interesting things is that Carol Kane's character, which is the ghost of Christmas present. Well, Carol Kane had a little difficulty with the role because she gets to rough Bill Murray up in the movie. Uh, It's just some of my favorite scenes because uh, Bill Murray's character is being the typical power-hungry man of the 80s. He's belittling of women. Carol Kane's character is basically an angel. You know, she's got the big uh, fairy tale wings and she's got the the magic wand and she's got the glitter and she talks like she's this gentle fragile thing and she comes up to him and she says oh let's not fight anymore frank and she hits them in the head <laughs> <laughs> it's just great and um some of the trivia that's in this is that carol kane was so afraid of roughing Bill Murray up. Uh, she got some coaching in how to actually get over it and, <laughs> and, you know, accomplish it. But at one point in the filming, she actually tore Bill Murray's lip. Oof, well, so they had to take a couple of days off from filming. Some of the trivia I've read has said, if you pause it on the right scene where the ghost of Christmas present is pulling on Bill Murray's lip, you can actually see a little blood splotch. Dell. <laughs> but the other part of this that's so good is Alfrey Woodard, who is, uh, you know, Scrooge's assistant in the corporate world. And she's getting the shaft on all sides. I mean, this poor lady is the sole income probably for her household. She is a widow, a widow and she's got a family at home. And she's so helping. Imagine if Bob Cratchit wasn't even married. <laughs> right. And uh, she's having to go through the list of who's getting what on the boss's Christmas list. And people are getting VCRs, which, of course, at that time was a high end. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But when it comes to her, the boss says, put yourself down for a towel. 
god. Oh, but it's it's just a great movie. And then the other version of Christmas Carol that actually happened before this in 1985 has one of my favorite actors, Mary Steenburgen. Mm-hmm. This is a movie called One Magic Christmas. And I guess technically it's one of those movies that was made by a company that Disney bought later on. So I, I want to say that it was like Touchstone or someone. Could be. Mary Steenburgen is in this movie where, with Harry Dean Stanton. Now, that wasn't a name that I recognized at first. But when I looked him up, those of you who are big John Hughes film fans would recognize him from the Molly Ringwald film Pretty in Pink. And, and he played her father, the janitor. So And from Red Dawn, if you're a different kind of 80s movie fans. Yes. <laughs> And of and, course, one one of one of Harry Dean Stanton's most visible roles was in the first Alien movie. Right. So in uh, One Magic Christmas, Mary Steenburgen plays this mother who loses sight of the spirit of Christmas during hard times, but she's able to recapture it with the help of her children. And the best part of it is of the movie that is is when her mother finds her childhood letter to Santa, and all throughout the movie there. Are examples of her mother, well, the mother, Mary Steenburgen's character being a Scrooge. Uh, uh, and, yeah. um, you know, it, it's very subtle until you've watched it a couple of times. I just rewatched it recently. Um, she plays King Mother, who is a cashier at the local grocery store. And coincidentally, one of the people that comes through her line is the mother of her daughter's best friend, who comes from an underprivileged family. Right. And, you know, she's ringing up her, her friend's purchases. And, of course, her food stamps won't cover it. And then there's another example in the movie later on where another person that comes through her line at the grocery store is this father who's on hard times. And he can't pay for all of his items either. And, of course, she ends up running into him later in the movie at a gas station. But all in all, they're two very different takes on a Christmas carol and i would say i think the mary steenbergen one is my more favorite of the two because my husband will tell you that i tend to like movies that end up having a dark twist (laughs) Uh, with one magic christmas the mother in the film doesn't realize how lucky she is because she's you know so anti-christmas until she's lost it all. Um, There is a scene in the movie where one of her customers who couldn't pay for their food ends up robbing a bank. And at the time, her husband is in the bank trying to get a loan to start his own business. Well, her husband gets shot in front of her eyes. She goes to the bank, you know. And then after the gunman has left the bank, he steals her car with her kids in them. And then, he, and then he runs off down the road and she's led to believe that her kids have died drowning because the car ends up in the river. Okay, that's dark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, Put this one on for the kids. <laughs> right. And this is a Disney movie. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's so perfectly illustrated because there is a scene in the movie where her husband is just looking for her support. He wants to start his own business, but she's telling him they can't do this. And he just tells her, you know, I'm going to keep walking on 
you know, another uh, lap around the block, you can go back inside. At that point, all the Christmas lights in their cute little suburb neighbors, all the lights in the neighborhood turn off mysteriously. And that's when things go south, as they say. And, (laughs) you know, and then, of course, later on, when her daughter comes back from the North Pole and she has her mother's letter to Santa uh, as, you know, from being a child, that's when it dawns on her that she was lucky to have what she did. So, but yes, um, two, two takes on a Christmas carol, Scrooged and One Magic Christmas. Wow. I forget how dark that movie was. It just takes all those Hallmark movies about, uh, oh, somebody's so busy at work, so busy at life, they just can't get into Christmas and really makes you want to go, cheer the hell up, because look how bad you could have it. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas movies had some grit. (laughs) Yes. So Scrooge is available on DVD and Amazon, and uh, uh, One Magic Christmas is on DVD and is available on Hulu. Very good. Very good. See, and from the innocence of youth, we move on to the golden age of films. Our not so innocent youth, but you know. Right. (laughs) Holiday classics. Now, these are films that may have been introduced to us by our parents or their generation. These are films that were made before our time. So, Cindy, what do you have on your list of classics? Well, any uh, ongoing listeners to the Seder Sphere are going to be really surprised at this pick, although I think I've mentioned it on the show before. One of the older Christmas movies I love, it came out three years before I was born, Scrooge, 1970, starring Albert Finney and Sir Alec Guinness and a wealth of talent, British talent. This is the musical version of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> uh, and it's... I'm I'm a bit of a Christmas Carol aficionado. I love the the original story. I'm I'm up on several of the versions. I just I really love the complete package you get with this one. It was created in 1970. It was it was very very much supposed to be. Oh my God! Look how well Oliver has done. Now we're going to make even more money with this because Oliver had Oscar, had Academy Awards. It had all this acclaim as a film. Um, it bombed in uh, in British cinema. <laughs> no, actually, it it did really, really well in the United States. It sold okay in British cinema. It got scores of bad reviews because um, it was like <laughs> it was so clearly an Oliver knockoff. <laughs> Um, so it's got it's and it cuts and it cuts a few really well-known scenes from even movie versions of Christmas Carol. It cuts the um, the grave robbers who are mm-hmm. reveling over the things they've they've stolen from Scrooge's corpse. It cuts a couple other things. It trades that in for a brief scene where the ghost of Christmas future shows Scrooge what hell's going to be like. Oh, it's really, really brief, but it is little demons and Scrooge is surrounded by fire and you go, oh, it's 1970. So we have to do something kind of trippy. <laughs> wow. But I always barely remember that part because the songs are the songs are really good. They've got a dance ensemble of like 50 dancers up and down the London streets. And um, if nothing else, the, the standout thing, I think the thing that always keeps bringing me back to this is Albert Finney's performance. He is like we were talking about with Henry Winkler one of the other two that I know of um, performances where the actor can play young and old Scrooge. Um, Cause this was only a few years after Tom Jones. So Albert Finney is still this dashing good looking young man. And so he plays Scrooge um, starting with the apprenticeship at Fezziwigs. So you get to see him go through the breakup scene with Isabel. And then Albert Finney, he, he, he was 34 at the time. He transforms himself into this wizened, uh, twisted 
old man of about 60. Um, just with just physical. It's no no makeup. Um, there's kind of a scraggly wig on him, just contorting his face to what some people have critiqued as looking like he has a stroke. It's like, no, this is a young, good-looking guy playing this old, bitter, wizened, shrunken man and trying very much to keep with Dickens' descript- physical description of Scrooge. You know, Dickens talks about how it's like cold has nipped at him, shrunk him. And Finney is totally playing to that, and he does it beautifully. And the songs are actually pretty good. And nothing's, uh, I think the only one I'm not a big fan of is um, Tiny Tim's Little Ballad, because the kids singing it has sort of this high voice, and it's so 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 obviously supposed to tear at your heartstrings i went you know it's a little obvious even for me but um yeah it's 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 uh i am i'm unashamed in that it's one of my favorite christmas carol adaptations but but if you're gonna watch it um try and buy it off amazon video on demand or one of the newer dvd releases because for years the only one that was out was like a pan and scan vhs version oh i hate that pan and scan hate it and it's all i've seen on tv it doesn't get a lot of tv airplay which has me wondering how the rights are tied up because when you see it on tv it's the same pan and scans everything looks squished and weird and the credits are completely cut Whereas, but you know, I know the credits are usually kind of speeded up and squished nowadays. Um, oh. But now the credits are completely cut, and you get a nice reprise of one of the better songs over the credits. Plus, you get to miss, you know, this, which is a really, a really talented cast of people. Yeah, the music is by, and the script is by Leslie Bricuse. I think it's how you say his name, who's really well known in musical theater circles. But that's that's my that's one of my picks for um, uh, movies that came out before I did. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I've not seen this. I'm very intrigued. I'd like to see that. Yeah, it's it's not everybody's favorite, but there's enough good stuff in it to make it worth the watch. And uh, my my pick for strange things, especially this is even a good pick, I think, for people who hate Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Yeah, <laughs> you're having flashbacks. I can tell. <laughs> we'll talk you down. <laughs> 1964. It's a classic in quotes. It's a horrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Martians, was it? The Martians want to invade Earth and kidnap Santa Claus because Martian kids don't have Christmas. Right. Some would say that means that missionaries should go to Mars and teach them about Jesus. Really, that's what they that should happen, but <laughs> <laughs> it's in weird colors. The Martians are green, of course, and wearing like scuba equipment. <laughs> the kid actors are kind of obnoxious, but uh, but one one reason to I think to watch it is even if your family doesn't get along at Christmas, put this on and go. Okay, guys, just watch it. Just just watch it. <laughs> Everybody in your family will become cast members of Mystery Science Theater three thousand. You cannot help but riff this movie. And they have, actually, the MST3 guys and Riff Tracks have done it. It deserves to be torn to pieces. And I think nothing bonds a family like a shared enemy. Yeah, It's either the politician you all hate, the relative you all hate who isn't there, or a movie everybody despises. And I think Santa Claus Conquers the Martians could be that movie. <laughs> you know, I think everything else you put it on for the kids and go see what we could be making you watch when we were kids this is all we had to watch and we were damn grateful <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't remember it in great detail but i think i have caught it once on one of the what the hell is that looks right <laughs> and it seemed like something like ray bradbury presented by community theater <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's funny it is. It's horribly done. There's no money. But I, one thing I've, I noticed, especially watching it recently, 
the cast, they much they must be a bunch of people who know each other. Or at least some of them must know each other. Like the guy who plays Santa Claus, maybe he used to be, maybe he's always the Santa Claus at one of those um, Santa's Village sort of parks they used to have back then. Uh Because everybody in it is so utterly sincere. Mm. I mean, sometimes you see these bad movies and clearly somebody's like phoning it in. They're barely reading the lines. They're, They're damn near eye rolling their way through it. But like, yeah. The bad guy Martians are really committing to be the bad guys. The guy playing Santa Claus says his stupid ass dialogue with ah. a really merry ho 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 and a twinkle in his eye. The kids are in it. They're not great, but that's not their fault. You know, they're really trying to be enthusiastic. I'm just like, everybody's slogging this through this thing like real troopers. And they kind of deserve <laughs> a little respect for taking a lunatic script. Yes. <laughs> and some of the stupidest dialogue you're liable to hear and saying it like it's Shakespeare, like it really counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't P- Pia, Pia, Z- Pia Zadora? It's one of her first movies. Okay. Oh, <laughs> now, also, I, th- I don't think this is an American movie. I think it's Italian or something. Oh, so it's like the spaghetti western a la science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. The, fun, the fun thing about this movie, folks, it's one of those things, one of those movies that are so bad it's good. You got <laughs> it's fun. It's just fun to watch. Conquers the Martians, 1964. Looking at this, directed by Nicholas Webster, writers Glenville Merrith, based on a story by Paul Jacobson. So it might have been like a pulp uh, short story. No, it's all American or English yeah. actors. All right. It sounds very American. Those names sound very American. <laughs> Let's see. Officials, official country of origin in the USA. Filming locations. Roosevelt Field, Garden City, Long Island. Excellent. All right. <laughs> Plenty of lead paint. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody was huffing it when they wrote it. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> And the first IMDb user review says, can something this dumb really be harmless? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a wonderful selection, Cindy. Everyone ah, should see Santa Claus Congress, <laughs> the Martians. <laughs> In color. Yeah. <laughs> End of part one.